Welcome to The Bend, a podcast for survivors and victims of crime and those who serve them, sponsored by the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. My name is Anna Nasset, and I am your host of this bi-monthly podcast. And today on my show, I have Kelly Rizzitano from the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. Thank you for being here, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Uh, this show was created to take a deeper look at the services, organizations, and concepts for victims of crime. We wanted to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources not only in our state in Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. As your host, I myself am a victim and survivor of crime, and my healing process and how I navigate throughout the world is an ongoing and ever-evolving process. I went for years of hiding myself and my trauma to standing up and speaking out against crime and now travel and speak to victim service organizations. I will sometimes share with you resources or services I have used as I have begun to mend, but we're also going to investigate lots of other types of services and organizations that could benefit people. Our hope is that the show is um, everyone finds something who has been a victim of crime or who has been affected by crime and know that they are not alone. I do always want to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing. But with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story related to crime, discuss our mental health, or have other sensitive subject matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. Today, we have Kelly Rizzitano from the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. I have known Kelly for a little over a year when we first met at a victim service uh, training. Back then, I had no idea what I was going to be doing in this world or this field. I simply knew that I wanted to take any education I could to figure out the path I should be on. The day of that training, I walked in not knowing anybody and I felt like a nervous little middle school girl with her lunch tray trying to figure out who she was gonna sit with. And I happened to see Kelly and some of her friends and I sheepishly walked up and asked if I could sit there. Um, I greatly admired the work that the Vermont, Vermont Network was doing and so it felt like maybe a good place to sit. And that's when I met Kelly. Within a few minutes, we were chatting and laughing and immediately showing each other pictures of our dogs. And that's the kind of person Kelly is. And I'm excited to bring her passion here to the show today. Kelly is the Healing and Advocacy Director at the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. And I'm so grateful to have you here today. Thank you. Um, Kelly, could you start by explaining the work that the Vermont Network uh, Against Sexual and Domestic Violence does? And we'll probably, for everyone listening, just refer to it as the Vermont Network from here on out. So. Yes, great. Um, thank thank you. you for having me. And I didn't think you were like a middle school girl. I thought you were really cool. <laughs> and um, I really had a great time sharing photos of my dog. And I actually brought my phone if maybe we could. We can do that again. Yeah. 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 We like to send them to each other on a pretty yeah. regular basis at this point. So, yes. Yeah. So, um, yes, the Vermont Network is a federally recognized domestic and sexual violence coalition in Vermont. And these coalitions exist throughout the United States. So there are, um, they exist in each state. Um, the network in Vermont unites 15 member organizations and statewide partners to uproot the causes of violence in Vermont. And um, these programs provide services to survivors who have experienced domestic, sexual, and stalking violence. And um, 
And so that's a really important resource in our community. And um, the Vermont Network, while we don't do direct service, um, we do we engage in public policy advocacy, training and technical assistance, and social change to advance our work. With that being said, we also have a legal clinic, and the legal clinic provides direct service to survivors of domestic and sexual and stalking violence. And so that is the work that we do. Awesome. Yeah. So, for instance, here in, we're in Washington County right mm -hmm. now, the um, providers underneath the network would be Circle and Barry and SACT over in Northfield? SACT is in Barry and oh. um, Circle is in Montpelier. Okay. Yes. Very good. Sorry about that. Thank <laughs> no, you. No, that's okay. Um, awesome. So, Kelly, you are in the role of the Healing and Advocacy Director at the Vermont Network. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that role is? Yeah. I know it's a little bit new, so what that role is and how it affects out in the community as well. Mm. Great question, and um, I think I'd like to start off with a quote from one of my teachers, um, and I have many teachers in the world that I'm learning from uh, as we are uh, developing this role and um, in my own personal life doing my work on you know how it is that we are being in the world. And so um, this, this quote is from Tarana Burke, who is the founder of the Me Too movement, and she says, the trauma is there. It's not going anywhere. It's a part of my life. It's something I accept. But it is only one part of my life. And I feel like if we are building a movement, and the movement is going to be sustainable and expansive, we have to spread the message that this is a movement about joy. This is not a movement about hate, about trauma. It's about how joy and love can move us past those things so that we can have a collective community that is healed and constantly healing. And so well, as I think about this, as I think about this journey and this role, um, you know, first of all, we received a message from the world, so to speak, that um, we need to make our movie, our movements healing and to heal the broken places. And so over the course of the last few years, the Vermont Network has been engaged um, in some work on a national scene and also globally that has us looking at new ways of moving forward to end domestic and sexual violence, to help create and be in a world where everyone can thrive. And so naturally, healing is required um, for folks to thrive. And, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who are hurting and have experienced violence and trauma. And so we are really committed to um, understanding that healing is vital to our work and also vital to our humanity. And so this role was created out of the possibility that healing ourselves and our communities will actually help to end violence. And it's a big undertaking. Obviously, we're not doing this alone. <laughs> and, um, and we really see this as um, a community project. And so we're exploring how healing work, how healing work can um, expand our movement and what that looks like here in Vermont and how it's connected to the rest of the world and to the rest of our, our global community. We're learning and asking ourselves questions like, who's doing healing work in Vermont? How are our communities healing? 
How are we building bridges and what kinds of ways can we support healing in our own work and our own lives and communities and our members? And how does healing promote social change? So today, actually, um, I just came back from Bay Park up in St. Albans, where I met with the folks from Voices Against Violence. They are engaging in a six-month healing residency. And we are exploring healing um, in our work, in the organization, and in the communities. And so we've been engaged. This, is, this was actually our second meeting of engaging in healing practices that can help sustain us and help um, us understand how healing work can, uh, you know, make, the, make a difference in the lives of survivors, which is, you know, the most important thing. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. And also, I um, wear a couple of hats, as often nonprofit folks <laughs> do. Um, the other part of my, the other larger part of my job includes coordinating the Supervised Visitation Coalition. So the coalition is compri comprised of um, <clears throat> programs which allow for safe visits for children, usually a parent that has used violence and needs supervision and to give the opportunity for that family to have connection. Um, so these programs play a really important and a unique role in the lives of survivors and children and also parents who have used harm. And so I feel really blessed, first of all, to work with these programs and I believe that their work is vital and also a pathway potentially to healing. Mm -hmm. so. Or do you feel like you're folding those healing practices into the work with the visitation program? Yeah, I think that that is, I think that that's one that's a learning edge that we are exploring together in the coalition is how do we, you know, in these settings, make these visits more healing for folks. And so, absolutely. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love hearing about the work and just that kind of shift on the paradigm because I think that, you know, within the trauma, I love that quote by Tarana Burke too. I was lucky enough to hear her speak last year and was just mm -hmm. blown away. But, um, I love that quote because we do have trauma, but we can still have joy. Right. And if we start to come from a place of joy, that healing is so much easier. I don't know. It just becomes more fluid. Mm -hmm. And I know like one of the things I love about you is just that you have so much joy in your life. <laughs> and you. when, you're, when I'm around you, and can you just kind of share with me what led you into this work in this field and, mm -hmm. yeah, and finding that joy? Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of paths that led me to this work, and um, I think the main one that, honestly, it's something that I haven't really talked about it publicly, just really in the comforts of people that I know and love. Um, but I think the main pathway for me to this work was through my own experience of domestic and sexual violence. Um, I grew up out in the Southwest, and it was certainly something then that wasn't really talked about in uh, my community. Um, and so <clears throat> sometimes I even think I didn't really recognize that it had a name, and um, which sounds weird, but I don't think it's uncommon. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I fast forward, took a volunteer training at the Clarina Howard Nichols Center in Lamoille County, and it was really hard. Um, but I stuck with it and decided that this is the work that I wanted to make a part of my journey in life. And so um, I think in so many ways that it helped to put a name to my own experience and helped to define um, 
what it was that happened to me. And so, you know, it's something that forever changes, you know, a part of who you are and um, parts that will never get back, right? So um, it this makes me think of this quote that I carry around too, and I'm full of quotes, but I think that they're really important. Um, Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, said, someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. And though it doesn't really make sense that I am <laughs> talking about violence as a gift, it has been a way for me to think about my journey to healing and that the lessons that I learned from <clears throat> the violence that I experienced um, was is really important, and I think it also helps to it also helped me um, to shape who I am and how I now walk through the through the through the world, and so um, and also I think in the work that it has helped me understand the complexities of being a survivor and navigating decisions and options and the new world I had to adjust to in the aftermath. And in my particular case, um, I made the decision to not come forward. And so many people don't. And doing this work has further deepened my commitment to that decision for myself and to support others and how they choose to move forward after experiencing violence. And being able to put aside my judgment um, about how and when and why survivors choose certain paths uh, and how they respond to their experience has been a gift born out of something that I didn't want to receive. And it became something, a gift that I could give back, right? Just supporting people where they're at and whatever decisions they make along the road to healing or to whatever it is that they're searching for. And so that's really like what brings me, you know, to this space. That's awesome. Thank you Thanks. so much for sharing. Yeah. And just so like openly sharing with me and us, it's really a gift. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's, we, if we can go through that trauma and start to find that healing, so many of us find ourselves wanting to sit here and to, to navigate and allow people the space or the listening or whatever it might be so that they can begin to heal as well in however they choose to do so. Yeah. And I think you hold a really good, powerful place with that. Thank you. So thank you. Um, as your role at the network is focused on healing and advocacy, how do you see that work shifting? Because we've been talking a little bit about mm -hmm. shifting from that place of Acknowledging that we live in trauma and acknowledging that we need to heal mm -hmm. and not just we as survivors or victims, but also offenders. Like, how does everyone begin to heal? Mm -hmm. So how do you see that work shifting um, in recent times? Yeah. So again, uh, with a quote from a, a normal... I love quotes too. It's okay, fine. Great. I'd use them all the time. <laughs> great. Um, <clears throat> Norma Wong, a Zen Buddhist master that has been working with the Vermont Network and is a personal teacher of mine, said this, um, we may say that we serve and are at the service of community or some such, but even that needs to be liberated. Serving needs to be liberated from any hierarchy, neither charity nor servitude nor obligation serve belly to belly, face to face, until we cannot tell who serves whom and that we are served. 
So <clears throat> for me, this speaks to um, so much of how we are interconnected and we are all humans together, right? And um, I think in our work, it's past time for us to think outside of the box about how we have traditionally worked and discover new ways to be a part of ending violence. So we are looking at what work needs to be done to shift the conditions that allow for violence to be perpetuated. Um, I think about the importance of how we hold and center survivors at the heart of our work and also shifting the knowing that in order to stop this, we have to be an active part of supporting all the ways, <clears throat> sorry, we have to be a part of supporting and active in all the ways in which violence can be prevented. And people who use violence can also seek healing so that they don't use violence again. And, um, and also understanding that people who have used violence have also likely experienced violence. And so that's a shift in our work. And um, I also think about um, domestic and sexual violence are rooted in oppression and, <clears throat> excuse me, and people who have been intentionally marginalized have been the most impacted. So we're also shifting our ways in which we understand um, that we have to have conversations about race and about the ways that racism and oppression have shaped our anti-violence movements and how we can take active roles in dismantling racism in our organizations and our communities. And part of that is also um, thinking about our work to support options for accountability other than the criminal justice system because we see the impact of this system on communities and in particular um, um, mass incarceration rates that particularly um, impact black and brown people. So we want to expand our exploration of supporting and practicing restorative and transformative justice, uh, work that is intended to restore and actually heal people. And um, a couple of other things, I think about shifting our, our um, work to include healing and that that is a crucial part of, of what we're doing because if we don't want to pass on trauma to future generations, then we have the obligation to heal ourselves and to heal ourselves in communities. Um, and also I think another big shift for us is seeing ourselves as part of social change work. Um, we know that if we don't get to the underlying cause of violence, then we'll never stop it. And so what conditions need to change and how can we do our work differently to support that knowledge and you know also like joy right like Tarana Burke said that um, we are we have this amazing gift to experience joy and how do we bring that into our movement so that people want to um, be connected to us and to also be a part of this beautiful thing that could change the world and so and I think about at the heart of all of these shifts, right, is love. And we have to love each other so much that we can shift our work because we know that this could change things. So 
That's a lot of shit. That's a lot. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's change the world with some joy. <laughs> Let's do it. I love it. And bring everyone along with yes, us. Yes. And um, I love everything you just had to say and so much information that I'm really excited to listen to this afterwards <laughs> and learn more from you and just absorb. Um, like one of the things that you and I have talked about and that you kind of started to bring into here was when we look at social justice, we see separate groups working on separate issues. Um, can you talk to us more about how you envision all of us different social justice groups working together collectively because we are all rooted in love and we do have so many common goals. So can you speak a little bit more to that? Sure. Um... So often social justice movements have worked in silos and often competing for the same resources and from a place of scarcity. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that all of our social justice movements are interconnected, right? So there's a direct link between racism and sexual violence. There's a link between poverty and food insecurity. And there's so many other examples of how um, these social justice movements are connected. And I, I know personally, I, there's one thing that I know for sure, and that we are far more powerful if we're working together instead of competing for um, resources and spaces to be heard. And so I think that it begins with the understanding of that, that we are all deeply connected and that our very existence <laughs> depends on one another, right? And mm -hmm. I also, um, and so I think that that's a place to start. Um, I also think about how we do our work. And I think we have to take a look at our power structures and learn to be in different relationship with power rather than power over, power with one another. Um, we need to bring our hearts to the table, uh, the tables that we sit at. And um, I think we need to learn to be vulnerable uh, with one another and authentic with one another. I think that um, we have to learn how to be in deep solidarity and in ways that we haven't maybe in the past. And so I also think about connection and infusing art and storytelling and spaciousness um, and creativity to dream into the world that we want to build and then build it from there together. And, you know, obviously I don't have all the answers, but I think that these are some, some places, some curiosities and some places that we can tease out to figure out how we work collectively and better t with one another to support global healing and love. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I'm talking mm -hmm. with Kelly Rizzatano from the Vermont Network today. Um, do you like just kind of follow up? How are you at the network um, as a staff kind of embracing, embracing this dreaming into um, as a like as a practice within your daily work life there? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we are engaging in healing practices um, and um, finding ways. Um, so we also create space where we have big picture staff meetings that allow for us to like step back from the the day to day goings on to look at the horizon and envision what that might look like and think about how our work can support that vision and making decisions based on um, you know this this dream that 
all people can thrive, right? And how our work fits in with that. So I think there's that. And, you know, just being in deep relationship with one another, again, exploring healing practices that that help the organization heal and also in particular, like, you know, also ourselves um, and, and learning about new ways in which we can be together. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, just having done some work alongside the network yeah. for the last year or so, like I just when I walk in there, I feel that like it's just there's a really amazing energy that's calming. It's empowering. Um, just the different people that I've gotten to interact with and work there. I feel that. And so I'm really excited that you all are kind of like at the forefront of looking at this stuff and what we're going to do in our state. It's so cool because yeah. I couldn't imagine a better team to take it on and whoever else you bring in. <laughs> um, with that in mind, like one of the things like with this work is like our burnout is high. Mm. And so right now you're working on healing within communities. Um, what do you do for yourself? Um, and can you talk a little bit about how, yeah, you, how you work to heal yourself, um, not only as a service provider, but also as a survivor? Mm. That's a great question. You know, I think about um, healing and self-care, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I think about how important that is to mitigate burnout, to um, help create sustainability, um, and also to, um, you know, think about how that impacts our work. You know, I think, as I stated earlier, that if we're not healing ourselves, then how are we impacting others? And so I think it's crucial for folks that are providing services to um, to navigate that. And, you know, I think that healing is, you know, there's individual healing, which is really important. And I also think that um, healing really happens in communities and that, you know, I, I think that it's important that we have communities to help us to help us heal and that, you know, we are thinking about um, folks that are having a hard time in our communities, survivors that are having a hard time in our communities, and how we can step in to hold those folks and to make space and listen um, and deeply listen to uh, help create healing. You know, I don't, I think that, you know, we can build resiliency by practicing all the things that there are to practice for healing, right? But I think also we need to be thinking about healing as a community effort and that we all should be holding each other and knowing who's hurting in our communities and stepping in and um, being, you know, a part of people's healing processes and how can we, how can we do that better in our world and so and so that's really important and I and I think that um, yeah that you know as a survivor uh, being in the work and navigating the world right that like we have to take that space or or know ways in which we can heal um, that we can rejuvenate and know who our people are in our communities that we can turn to mm -hmm. um, when it's impacting us, when we're being triggered. And so I think all that is really important. Um, I love that. And yeah. I like I feel like you and I could do 17 shows together. But I would <laughs> love to it. have you come back and talk about like community and listening. Because yeah. I know we're both really passionate about how we lean in and listen 
to the people in our community, to the people right in front of us, mm -hmm. and what what a huge part that is to healing. So mm -hmm. hopefully you'll come back and do that with me over the to. next year. Um, for us as individuals, I know that when I first started in this field, I had a conver conversation about self-care, and I said, well, I don't really think I do anything. Um, when I needed to refill my own well or like heal myself, or those days I feel really low and lonely, I curl up under my quilts with my teeny tiny dog, Dolly Parton, who we'll talk about shortly, and I watch Gilmore Girls, like, mm -hmm. that's what I did. And it was a conversation with one of your colleagues at the network who I was having this with, and she said to me, well, Anna, don't you know, like, that is your self-care, that is your healing. Mm -hmm. So for you as a person to refill your well and give to yourself, what, what do you do? What are some of the things that you do? Yeah. Um... Uh, gosh, there's so there's so much. I, I feel so blessed in <laughs> in so many ways. But I'm lucky to live next to the woods and uh, to be. Of course, I think Vermont. Maybe there's you know we're surrounded by the woods, so which is lucky. Yes. <laughs> um, but I feel like I have a deep relationship with the natural world, and so I do most of my well refilling there. Um, I spend a lot of time noticing you know changes in nature, um, taking lessons from the natural world around me to help me um, understand my part in the world and, and to find ways to be in connection with the world around me. And I also take a lot of photos um, uh, all the time. Actually, I think it drives people crazy when, I, when we go on little nature walks and I'm like, hold on, wait, stop, let's get this. <laughs> um, but I'm passionate about photo, yeah. about photography, and so that's a way that I experience healing and refilling my well. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I know that your photography is wonderful, Thank and you. I love seeing it. I mean, I'm lucky enough to be friends with you on the social medias, so I get to see them, and they're just stunning every time. Thank and you. I know that for me, even as a viewer, like I can see that this is something you're really passionate about and that it refills you. But me as a viewer looking at the pictures you take, it refills me too. That's amazing. And it Thank just you. like adds a little like calmness. I'm like, oh, look at this. <laughs> and then there's other pictures where it's you and or it's of your puppy who mm -hmm. is the cutest little thing. I just saw a picture of him the other day where he was smiling and it just brought so much joy to me. I started laughing so hard and showed it to like six people throughout the day. I was like, look at this dog. He's so cute. So, because we both really love our dogs, um, can you tell me a little bit more about your view on dogs and how your puppy, Winston, supports you and others? Yeah. Because you take him to work with you too, right? I do. Um, you know, I think that, first of all, like what happens when you are, you know, when you have pets and pets can help relieve um, stress and anxiety. They can help lower your blood, blood pressure. Um, you know, I think that they are such a, such an amazing gift to have if that's your, if, you know, you're inclined to have pets, um, because they can bring such joy. I know I sit around and laugh at this silly dog all the time and all the ridiculous things that he does. And it mm -hmm. brings me joy and laughter and, um, a, a, a like a feeling of healing and love and and it's like nothing else right like totally 
They love you unconditionally, and it's just so comforting to come home and have that little fluff ball waiting for me or jumping up and down. Like, I'm so excited mm -hmm. to Looking see Looking out it. the window. I know. I know. Yes. Yes, so, totally. So important. And, and so I think that it's such a gift if folks um, are inclined to have pets to have, you know, a little dog or cat or whatever it is that can help them heal or experience joy or yeah yeah and oh my gosh speak about le speaking of lessons learned right like seeing everything with a fr it seems like winston that's his name sees everything with a fresh set of eyes every day and mm -hmm. sniffs everything and is into everything and i marvel at that <laughs> yeah I totally understand. I mean, my dog Dolly Parton is probably eight inches tall. <laughs> and like here in Vermont in the wintertime when we have, you know, 17 feet of snow, like I curl around all these little paths yes. and she just runs. I mean, the snow's four times taller than her and she just runs around and she thinks it's the greatest That's thing. So funny. She's got her own little maze and just, yeah, how she just wanders the world and <laughs> she's not the nicest dog to other people. <laughs> But um, her and I just have our little roost, and mm -hmm. she rules it and lets everyone else know who's boss. Yes. And you know what? I like that because I try and be, like, the kindest person ever. I'm like, oh, well, someone's, <laughs> someone's just going to be a little mouthy here. Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she brings me joy. Yeah. So, um, and I'm so glad that that's how we initially yes, connected and that we're here today chatting. Um, as we wrap up this episode, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you feel like we haven't covered yet? Um, I, you know, one thing I was thinking about is um, for me at the center of all of this is love. And I think that love is at the core of healing, a community, and how we take care of one another. And, you know, I think that that's the most important thing in, in the world is how we take care of one another and how we love one another and that everyone deserves love. So I think that's... All you need is love. All you need is love. I love that. Me too. <laughs> that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> Kelly Rizzatano from the Vermont Network. It has been a joy to have you on the show today. I know that I personally would not be sitting here today if it weren't for the work that you do, for the network does, um, as a victim and survivor of crime, knowing and having used so many sources and resources. Mm -hmm. Um, throughout the last years has been just paramount and along with that like the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence it's a full staff that's become my friends and has pushed me to consider working in ways that I never would have dreamed into and hopefully then shifting around and helping others dream into new worlds as well so I want to just close by saying thank you and if there's one share you have kind of in parting with um, for victims, survivors of crime, and the service providers listening, what would that share or word be? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I want to thank you also for sharing and for being vulnerable and for being out there and doing this crucial work. I think that you are such a shining star and um, full of love and hope, and so I really appreciate that. And thank thanks you. for sharing your journey. It's very brave of you. And um, I think for other, for other folks who've experienced domestic and sexual violence, stalking violence, be gentle with yourself, you know. Um, do what you know deep inside of your heart is that will work for you because you're the expert in your own life and you deserve all the love and all the joy in the world, so. I love that, <laughs> so true. Be gentle with yourself. Mm. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Kelly Rizzitano. Mm. 
for being here today to talk about the Vermont Network uh, Against Domestic and Sexual Violence and how we can embrace healing and advocacy from a different lens. Uh, remember, there is a coalition like for the Vermont Network in every single state. For, for, for more information here, you can go to the, the vtnetwork.org. So it's vtnetwork.org. Um, and if you have any ideas or questions about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at Anna at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nassett, and I look forward to sharing more with you every week here on The Mend. Be well, be strong, goodbye. <laughs>